Um, we are returning to 1 Peter this morning. Uh, last week we had stepped out of 1 Peter, but we had stepped out of 1 Peter to uh, expand upon the, the call to be holy and the, the call to actually love our brothers and sisters sincerely and earnestly. And so we, we looked at again at the, the sufficiency of scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, and the importance of how Christ bridges the scriptures to the commands to love one another and how he equips us to love one another. So if you would turn with me this morning, we're going to go to 1 Peter. Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to actually read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. We're going to read 2 through, uh, through verse 5 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Reads this way, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation." If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize our need to be in your word, to understand the truths of your scripture. Lord, for us to be reminded of your glory, of your power, of your commands, of your character, of the call that you have placed on our lives as your sons and your daughters. Lord, we rejoice in the truths of your scripture that um, just affirm the new identity that we have in Christ Jesus, the things that we are to put off, Lord, that are no longer what define us. Lord, we pray that we would be increasingly growing in obedience to you, but Lord, that that would be out of a, a deep love for you, a deep desire to honor you with our lives, a deep desire to live a life that is pleasing to you, to that call to be holy. Lord, you've saved us for a purpose. Lord, your will for us is our sanctification. Lord, that we would be more and more who we are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, as we dig into this passage this morning and, and expand upon the truths and see the commands that you have for us. Lord, the exhortations of the things that are to be put away. Won't you convict us of any sin that remains? Lord, we know that there is sin that still remains in our life. We are not yet perfect. Lord, it's easy for us to continue on in our life and just um, become, become complacent to your word. Lord, it's truth and it speaks words of encouragement to us, but it also speaks words of conviction. So Lord, do your work in our lives, in our hearts today, so that we might be a people that rightly reflects Christ to the world around us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
I've got my workstation set up here. I do like a music stand. It's a little bit taller for me. So if you see me kind of going back and forth, I'm really enjoying having actually like the multi-purpose workstation. It reminds me of working from home because I, I work with my, my stand-up desk. So this is kind of just making me feel comfortable. So hopefully that doesn't mean we're going to have an extra long sermon this morning. Um, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Um, one of the ways that us as pastors often pray for you, and you hear it from the platform regularly, Pastor James often prays this way, is that we would, be, that we would love God most. That we would love God most, that we would have more love for others, that is, an increasing love for others, each day that we would increasingly love others more, with less love for ourselves. That means that we would be found always honoring God in all that we do, and all that we say, in our thought life, that we would be thinking of others more, and that we would think more of others. All this while thinking of ourselves less, and not necessarily less of ourselves. As we get into the rest of the chapter, we're going to hear more about our identity in Christ and who Christ has made us, who he's called us to be, positionally and practically. And so this morning, as we consider the text that we have for us today, we do need to reconsider and look back at the truths that lead us into our passage today. The truths that have led us to this point in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. We need to be reminded that we have been born again, that we were regenerated. We were born again to what? To a living hope which will be revealed with Jesus at his revolution, revelation. We have a faith that saves us. A faith that saves us is a faith that perseveres to the very end, to that day when Jesus does come again. A faith that saves us is a faith that produces based on its new life. Verse 8 in chapter 1 tells us, Though they had not seen him, they believed, and we too have not yet seen Christ. But he has given us that gift of faith, and we believe. Be encouraged that God has given us that gift of faith. Not only were we born again, regenerated, we were bought with a price. We have been redeemed. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. It was a costly redemption. Verse 16 gives us that truth. Verse 18 goes on to say, it tells us that we were actually ransomed from our futile ways. So we were bought with a price, and we were actually ransomed from the ways that we previously walked in, and we're going to see that in our text again today. We've been purchased by God, and we are now his servants. We often say Jesus is our Savior, he's our Lord. Well, what does it mean that Jesus is our Savior? Well, it means that he saved us. He's the one who paid our sin debt that we could not pay. What does it mean that Jesus is our Lord? It means that we submit to him fully. And so today, when we see all in our scripture passage, consider the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and what you still need to submit to him in. 1 Peter chapter 1 goes on to describe this fact that we've been purchased by God, that we are now bondservants. We are slaves to God. We've been repurposed, as I said, for his holy purposes and for his pleasure. And as I continued kind of revisiting chapter 1, I was reminded again of Jesus' commandment to us, how he says that we're to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others. And this is reflective in our passage in chapter 1. It's reflective in our passage today. Verse 13 tells us to prepare our minds for action. We're to love God with our mind. Verse 14 tells us as God's obedient children, 
to be honoring him, to be holy. That's a call to action. That's the strength that God has given us. Verse 22 says to purify your souls by your obedience to the truth. Loving God with our souls, with our strength. For to love, purify your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We've been called to action to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Called to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we've been born again to this living hope. We were ransomed by Christ from disobedience to obedience. We have been purified, that is, we've been cleansed and we've been made right before God. The Father sees us with Christ's righteousness. Now, practically, we know that none of us are there yet. So when this morning, when, when we said, what command do we need to grow in obedience to? All of us should have something that we're saying, yes, I need to be more obedient to this. I need to be more obedient to that. And when we see that we need to grow in obedience, there should be confession that goes along with that. We were purchased, we were rescued from both the results of our sinfulness and to a new purpose. Right? We need to move forward. We have a new life of devotion to God and a willing, submissive, obedient servanthood to God's mission. Do you guys know what God's mission is for you? How do we know? Spend time in his word. We're commanded to be holy. We're commanded to love one another. Question for us this morning with these truths in hand is, what then no longer should be amongst us? This passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 starts out with those things that we are to not be reflective of in our lives anymore. We shouldn't actually see them present in our life. What should not be found or heard of in my life? What sins of commission and omission, right? The things that we have actually committed against God and the ways that we have been disobedient to God by not obeying his command, meaning that we've omitted them. It's like God gave us a command, but it's like, oh yeah, that one doesn't apply to me. So what sins of commission and omission are true of me today that do not reflect who I am in Christ and that are not loving others. So we're prescribed by God's word to replace one thing for another. We're to replace our fleshly works with spirit-empowered works. So how do we differentiate between these two things? How do we know whether we're walking in the flesh or whether we're walking in the spirit? It's the word of God, right? It's one of its purposes. It's just to give us a a spirit of discernment to be able to know the things that we need to confess, the things that we need to put off, and the things that we need to walk in obedience to. Such a blessing to have God's word. That's why last week when we talked about the sufficiency of the scriptures and the one another's, we need to know what we need to obey. We also need to know the things we need to put off. God's word is never found lacking. It is truth it's sufficient for both salvation and sanctification. Again, we talked about how Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. It means that we need to be submitting to him. He's also the one who, who authored our faith into existence. But he's also the perfecter, as Hebrews 12, 2 tells us. What does it mean that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith? It's only through Christ 
that we can grow in sanctification. It's only by His Spirit that we can grow in obedience and submissiveness and action that honors the Lord. God's Word is faithful and true. The Bible instructs us in godly living. The Spirit enables us for godly living. And those around us give us the opportunities to practice godly living. Let me say that again. The Bible instructs us in godly living. The Spirit enables us for godly living. And those around us give us the opportunity to practice godly living. Are you spending time in God's Word? Are you putting off the flesh and and clothing yourself in the Spirit? Are you around other people so that you can actually practice the one another's? We've said it countless times, we can't fulfill all the one another's here during a corporate worship service. God's given us hours more throughout the week to be able to serve and be a part of his ministry. Are you, are you around other believers? Are you around those who are lost? As a believer, our life should emulate the heart and actions of Jesus. We should have a sincere and genuine faith that has a love for God and his love for others. Right? Not our love for others. It's either easy for us to love um, the lovable in our own flesh and our own strength. But God loves everybody. He has a plan for their lives. He has a hope for their lives. Notice that God doesn't instruct us to love ourselves. It's not needed, right? We're a selfish, prideful people. And we're pretty good at loving ourselves. In fact, we're too good at what we think is love for ourselves. Our struggle is loving ourselves more than anyone, more than anything, and often more than God. When we choose to sin, it's because we choose our glory, we choose our satisfaction, we choose our own pleasures rather than pleasing God rather than doing the things that he's commanded us to do, rather than loving other people and doing things that God is wanting to use you for. He's given you resources. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual gifts for others' benefit, for God's glory. So God commands us to love others because we need to be told to. He tells us how to care for others and instructs us in his word the many different ways that we can show a genuine and sincere love for others. So if you have not picked up one of these one another bookmarks, they are still at the information counter. I encourage you to keep one in your Bible, keep one in your um, journal, keep one in your devotional, have one on your fridge, put them in your car, take a picture of it, have it as a a screensaver on your phone. Um, Whatever you find is going to be helpful for you to meditate on those truths from God's Word. It's just a small little portion for each command. So I encourage you to dig back and look at the whole reference to get the full counsel of God's word in that way. What is everyone's greatest need? When we talk about loving others, everyone's greatest need is salvation. So how does God care for and provide for others? Well, he does that through his creation. He does that through his spirit, through the ways that he's blessed us, the resources that he's given us, the opportunities that he's given us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 always starts off with that, that gospel salvation hope for us, that it's God who gives us the faith to believe, right? It's not a result of any works of ours because we are prone to boasting. But verse 10 is the one that he, tell, he informs us that we are his workmanship and that he's created good works for us to walk in in eternity past. 
He's got these good works for us to do for his glory. So he saved us for a purpose. In view of 1 Peter chapter 1, being saved, being purchased, and repurposed, what's the primary command from our text this morning? I want to read our passage again this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you follow along or just listen. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our passage starts off with the things we're to put off and put away. But in your teaching outline today, I'm encouraging you to, to think that the actual primary command is not the putting off, but it's the desire to long for pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation. And I encourage you in your teaching outline not only to long for, but also to feed on pure spiritual milk. If a baby is crying and they're crying because they're hungry, you don't just give them a bottle. They can't feed themselves, right? You make sure that they feed on it, that they take in the nourishment. So it's one thing to long for time in God's Word. It's another to actually practice it and to take it in so it can nourish your soul. So in your teaching outline, long for and feed on pure spiritual milk. Put off sin which hinders your spiritual growth your fruit of the Spirit, and how you actually love others. This is your spiritual worship. To be obedient to God's word, that you may grow up into salvation, so that we become and practice who we are positionally. God desires us to spend time in his word. When we're doing that, we're spending time at his feet. We're giving him a voice into our life, that he would inform us of truths of who he is, that he would inform us on the realities of, of what we often practice and how it grieves him, of the opportunities that he has for us to walk in obedience to him, the ways we can care for those here in this world. It truly is a blessing to spend time in his word. What needs to be put away in your life? What needs to be put away in my life? And, and how do we actually know if we're not spending time in God's word? So we need to read the scriptures, which as 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, the scriptures are profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In 1 Peter 2, 1, if it says that we would long for the pure spiritual milk, that we would grow up into salvation, that means that sanctification in our life that actually reflects the salvation that we are rejoicing in, in the same way Second Timothy is saying this. Spend time in God's word so that you might be conformed to Christ's image because it trains you in righteousness. It reshapes you. So when we spend time in God's word, we need to read God's word with that purpose in mind. If you've been born again and purchased through the shed blood of Christ, then God gave you a new heart. Right? We said that this morning. You've been regenerated. Your new heart by the word and spirit of God has given you a love for God over self. Right? Your whole life has been turned upside down because you, before Christ, you used to pursue anything that pleases you. You used to pursue anything that raised you up, anything that gave you pleasure. 
But God, when he, when he saved you, he gave you a new heart with a new mission, with a great love for him and his same love for others. Your new heart, by the word and spirit of God, has given you that love for God over self. Not only a love for honoring God, but a love for others. So often we say to preach the gospel to ourselves because it reminds us of those truths. So recalling the gospel each day reminds us of who we were, who we are, and it deepens our affections for the gospel truth and the souls of others. Ultimately, it increases our love for God because we're reminded that we didn't deserve to be saved. There was nothing within us that God said, oh yes, I'm saving that one because look at what they're doing. There was no good works within us that were pleasing to the Lord. We were working our, trying to work our way up to heaven. We were trying to be good enough that God would take us in and have fellowship with him for eternity. But he couldn't bring us in in our sinful state. Why else do we spend time in the word? The fruit of this regenerate life is a whole new purpose. God has given us a new purpose. How do we know it if we don't spend time in God's word? We're to glorify God in everything, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. So we need to submit all of those things to God. So as new creations, we're experiencing the love of God. What should not be named among us? So last week, we considered the ways we are commanded to love one another. And so today in 1 Peter, we read that we are no longer to be clothed in as it is unrighteous and behavior. We learn, we learn about the things that we're to put off. Why? Because they're dishonoring to God. They're unloving of our neighbor. They're a hindrance to the proclaimed gospel message. And they can be a stumbling block for the lost. They're hurtful behavior to those whom God has made our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. If we're speaking to how we perform these things amongst the church. In your outline, you'll see a list of cross-references. I pray that you spend some time reading those passages this week. Meditating on them. They speak to the truths that we are reflecting on today. Peter tells the church to put away these behaviors, and, and this putting off act is an action, right? It's, it's something that you don't just think about. It's a, it's a behavior that you walk forward in obedience to. So the scriptures give clarity in other passages, like Ephesians 4. It describes this putting off as a way of, or this putting away as, a, as putting off that which belongs to your old identity. That is who we once were before Christ. The actions in which we had no power or victory over. We had no power or victory over sin before Christ. We were slaves to it. And as I said at the beginning, we are now slaves to God. Servants of his. The actions of which we were previously identified as are sinful. They're hurtful. They not only grieve God, but they hurt others. In fact, they branded us as sinners, right? We walked in sin, we were sinners. So this putting away is to rid yourself of these actions. It's to lay them aside. And when you lay them aside, they're not to be returned to, right? You put them on the back burner for a little while and one day return to them or kind of like draw you back over and and pick it up for a while and and act in, in these actions. When you take them off, you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, leave them off. Don't return to them. 
So what do or could these sins look like in my life, right? That's the question that I often ask when I'm reading and, or seeing sin described as, okay, yeah, certainly I'm not a murderer, right? I wouldn't murder. I wouldn't kill anybody. Oh, but what would that sin look like in my life? Jesus informs us. He's like, if you look, if you get angry with somebody and you're, you really basically are wishing that they were dead, you've committed murder in your heart. So you are that murderer, right? So what does that look like in my life? And so in our passage today from 1 Peter chapter 2, what do these sins potentially look like in my life? And so I want to spend a few minutes just defining and describing what these, what these sins are. If I'm sincerely and earnestly loving God and others, these sins occur considerably less frequently. Right? These sinful behaviors are replaced with obedience to God himself. You can't look at these definitions and, and see the love of Christ in them for a brother or sister. You can't see sincerity and earnest love for somebody if you're acting in any of these ways. So in your teaching outline this morning, Let's look at the ways that being clothed in Christ's righteousness, we're called to take off these sinful actions. The first word we want to look at is malice. The fill in the blank is ill will. Malice is an ill will. It's a desire to actually injure someone. It's wickedness. It's depravity. Remember that sinful state that we were saved from? It's not a shame to break laws. In fact, it's evil and it's trouble. Malice is willingly committing acts or saying words to the detriment of others. It means you know what you're doing. It's planned. Our next definition is deceit. It means to, to decoy or the fill in the blank is craftiness, Right? Deceit to decoy with craftiness, using devious words and actions to get what we want. It's to compare a trick or a bait to craft a falsehood. We might call it the bait and switch. Draw someone in with a deception and then to do harm to them. To cheat someone to present something as more or better than it really is. Does that describe anything in your life? any way that you might treat a brother or sister or even the lost. Thirdly, hypocrisy. Some, something that we're to put off, right? The acting of a stage player. Play acting without sincerity of heart. Now, we were just called to be sincere of heart in chapter 1. Hypocrisy lacks sincerity of heart. So we know that this is not of the Lord. Obviously, he's telling us to put it aside. It's to present ourselves as something that we're not. Maybe that means we're presenting ourselves as a friend for some kind of personal gain. Does that describe you? An insincere love for somebody because they have something, maybe an opportunity, maybe it's to get out on a boat this summer, right? Oh, I'm your friend. Or maybe it's someone with a pickup truck. Oh, I'm your friend. I need help moving, right? As a Christian, you might be presenting yourself as a Christian even. You're being hypocritical. You're rejecting the Lord. You're presenting yourself as a Christian for social acceptance, right? I come to church. I'm amongst all these people. They all act this way. I'm going to act that way too. It's a club. 
I love being around these people. They seem to care for me. I seem to get some kind of benefit from it. You want to be accepted. There's some kind of personal glory with the way that you present yourself. People pat you on the back for your good Christian behavior. Next to define is envy. Right? What is envy? Well, it's jealousy as far as the fill in the blank goes. Envy, jealousy, spite, often at the root of malice, which we describe first, or ill will towards others. It sounds like I deserve, I want, I'm discontent, I feel inferior, and the worst of all, I think God is unfair. Right? They have something that I don't have. And why is God so unloving and unkind to me that he would give it to them and not to me? That's not fair. Slander, the next definition. Evil speaking. Your fill-in-the-blank defamation. Slander, evil speaking, defamation. Another action that has envy at its, in its root. It's to puff oneself up by tearing another down. It speaks words of harm, malice, or that ill will against another so that they might be less. And in doing so, we raise ourselves up. So when we consider that prayer of loving God most, loving others more, and, and loving ourselves, thinking less of ourselves, thinking of ourselves less, I should say, how does this slander fit in? Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 exhorts the Thessalonian church to encourage one another and to build each other up. It's on your one another's book card, bookmark. Are you obedient to this command when you are doing any of these things that we just defined, that we've been commanded to put off? Are you encouraging one another and building each other up if you have malice at heart, if you're being deceitful, if you're being hypocritical, if you're envious, if you're slanderous? Our focus needs to be on Jesus, not you and not on me. It needs to be on focus on Jesus and the instruction that we can find in the Word of God, which serves both Him and others. When our focus on, is on Christ and on His Word and we're obedient to it, we're being faithful in loving others as He has informed us and instructed us to. Don't expect to be successful in being in producing spiritual fruit that reveals Christ if he doesn't indwell you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Takes you to the disclaimer that's in your teaching outline this morning. It says, You are only clothed in Christ's righteousness, right? If you have been born again. That means you have been regenerate. You've, bought with, you've been bought with Jesus' life. You've been redeemed by his death and are now a slave to God and right, righteousness for his purposes and for his pleasure. All these things that we're supposed to put off and we're supposed to love others as Christ has loved them, we can't do that in our own strength. We must be born again. We must submit to Christ, confess our sins, trust in his work on the cross, trust in his perfect Obedience to the Father. When we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, when we're given the grace of God in our life, it's as if we have always been obedient, right? Not only just as if we've never sinned, it's as if we've always been obedient, just like Jesus was. 
He always did the will of the Father. So can we do any of these things in full obedience to God? Absolutely not. So what's common against all these sins that are to be put away from us? They're not reflective of someone who actually understands the love and grace God gave them, regardless of their own sinfulness. Right? If you're doing these things, you truly can't understand the fullness and the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he saved you from. They're not reflective of our new identity and God-given purposes, right? Because we're still walking in the ways that we used to. We're still walking in the patterns of our flesh and feeding them, in fact. What else is common of these sins? They're not reflective of desiring others to experience and enjoy the love of God. We have the opportunity as sons and daughters of, of God to be indwelt by His Spirit to love others in a way that the world cannot love them. We're going to get to that. There's a portion on our outline in a box that speaks to how we're going to do that. So do you long for and do you feed on that pure spiritual milk? We need to actually replace the lies of the enemy. We need to replace the lies of our flesh that fight for pride, power, and position in our lives with the truth of God's word. So time in the word should not be a chore in our lives, right? It shouldn't be something that we have our task list for the day. It's like, yep, I just read God's word. That's done. That's taken care of. You know, maybe it's even a priority on your task list. It shouldn't merely be a practice. It should be an opportunity to fellowship and commune with God. As he speaks to your heart, as he informs your mind, and he corrects your practices. Now, that doesn't mean that reading disciplines are bad, right? In fact, they're absolutely necessary. But at the root and heart of these disciplines, we should long to know more of who God is so that we would grow in love for him. We should desire to understand his commands for us so that we live godly and holy lives. In fact, that should be our prayer when we spend when we go to spend time in God's word. That prayer, that what do I need to start obeying today? Or what do I need to grow in obedience today in? There's a spirit of humility that needs to happen every time you open up God's word. First off, the fact that he loved us so much that he gives us his word. That he would desire to speak to us today. Those of us who have not seen him yet have faith to believe. We should humbly approach the word to be corrected and convicted of any sinful actions. Ultimately, we should be desperate for time in the word, just like a newborn baby is desperate for milk to sustain, to soothe, and to strengthen them. Are you feeling anxious today? Is that a common feeling you wake up in the morning with? Go to the Lord. Spend time at his feet. Spend time in his word. It's not something new. It's not something unique to you. We have a faithful and trustworthy God, and it's just throughout the scriptures. We see his faithfulness. In fact, you start in Genesis, you go to Revelation, his faithfulness is true. It never wavers. Our lives should be marked by this time in the word, right? People should know that we've spent time with Christ. Just like the disciples, when they started speaking, people are like, oh, 
wait a second, aren't these guys just a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector? Like, they sound a little different. Oh, they've been with Jesus. When you've spent time with God in the Word in the morning, people should go, oh, you've spent time with Jesus. Not to puff you up, not to raise you, but to, see, to basically call you out and say, you know what, you're not who you were yesterday. Jesus is doing a work in your life today. In the passage, this passage today of, of godly corrections, we might quickly think of others, right? We read through this list and go, oh yeah, I know somebody who does that one. Oh yeah, I know that one too. I can think of a few people. Oh, there's a whole group that walk in this way. Hypocrites, it's them. It's that whole church. It's that whole family. It's this or that, right? We're quick to recognize sins in other people. God's word has given us some clear guidelines to that. I think it was two weeks ago, Pastor James pointed us to Galatians chapter 6, 1 verse 2, which speaks to us coming alongside a brother and sister who's walking in sin. We do it with a spirit of gentleness. Matthew tells us that we need to inspect our own life, right? What would that sin look like in my life? What do I need to confess? What do I need to walk forward in obedience to? But often, because we are still not yet perfect, we will see these sinful patterns and practices in the church life. In your teaching outline in that, bo- in that block there, we often can be at the receiving end, right? So how do we actually need to respond to people? What does God's word, what does the Bible tell us? How does it tell us how to respond when we are the recipient, is the fill in the blank, of another's malice, of another's deceit, maybe even of slander against us? Maybe the question to ask this morning is how would we want to, how would we want to be responded to when we fall into these sins? Because we know at times we do. I want you guys to turn over to Luke chapter 6 with me this morning. Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 27. This is a rich passage that is full of ways that God has called us to respond when we are encountering these sinful practices amongst others. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27, reads this way. It says, But I say to you, and this is Jesus talking, right? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It continues on, and I think it's helpful for us to continue reading this morning. It says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Amen. 
So when you're on the receiving end of these actions, of these words, of these sins that others are still practicing, God has called us to love our enemies. He's called us to pray for those who actually persecute us. Matthew 5, again, a parallel passage says, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Right? See them not as the sins that they practice. When we are amongst our brothers and sisters and they're walking in these sins, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 tells us to regard no one according to the flesh. Right? Don't think of them as the sin that they practice, saying, oh, you're just a liar. That's not their identity. Who, what is their identity in Christ Jesus? They're a redeemed child of the King. They're clothed in Christ's righteousness, just like you are. But they're not yet perfect. So we're to regard no one according to the flesh. Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? Not them, but he gave it to us, his sons and his daughters. What does that mean? What does that look like? 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that it's not counting their trespasses against them. Well, maybe I'm going to hold it against them for, for, for a little while so they can you know, feel the wrath of God through me, right? We're to be quick to forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. We're to love without prejudice, meaning not holding it back based on anything from anyone. We're to love in grace. Grace is something only that God can give. We're also to love without enabling sinful behavior, right? We're not to say, oh, I forgive you, it's okay. It's not okay. If they've sinned against you, that's not okay. We're not to enable their sinful practices. We're not to encourage them to just keep walking in their sinful ways because they know we're just going to keep forgiving them, which we are instructed to do. We're to call a sin a sin. And we're to encourage them with the truth of God's word. We're to love with safeguards and practical boundaries, right? We need to be wise with the ways that we continue being around those people who have sinned against us, especially when there's physical harm at risk. Emotional harm. So we're to love with safeguards and practical boundaries that do not go against how God has called us to respond. Right? Those boundaries need to be within the truths of God's word and his commands. We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. James chapter 1 goes on to continue expanding upon that, what it looks like in a Christian's life. So in putting off all these things, the fruit that remains is of the Spirit. It's not of the flesh. These outward works of the Spirit build unity. So it's a way that we get to love our brothers and sisters by putting all these things away. It builds unity and it shows God's love to the body. And not only that, it shows God's love to the lost. They might, the, the world might look and see you committing a sin. But by God's grace, hopefully they hear you confessing that sin. That they can say, oh yeah, Christians are hypocritical, but no, maybe they're, maybe they're not. Maybe he recognizes that he is a sinner and that he needs a Savior in Jesus because they're also hearing the gospel from you. When you go and ask for forgiveness of someone who is lost, 
So you know what? God has given me, he's granted me forgiveness, but I need to ask forgiveness from you too. It's a gospel opportunity to confess your sin even to the lost and proclaim the glory of Christ Jesus and the gift of salvation that you have received. So our command, our challenge this morning is to, like newborn infants, to long for spiritual milk. That means we're only satisfied with it. Right? That by it you may grow up into salvation. And the challenge of the end of that passage was, if indeed you have been saved, and that you have tasted that the Lord is good, that means you've experienced the loving kindness and the graciousness, the forgiveness that God the Father readily makes available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very end of your teaching outline, there's some self-diagnostics, right? Some important questions to prayerfully consider, to think through. And this week, I pray that you do that. Maybe spend some time reading through Psalm 139 and you can see David, how he goes before the Lord and how he prays. That God would search him, that God would reveal anything in his life that is not honoring to him. Any sin that David was not aware of. That's the same prayer that we have when we spend time in God's word. Three self-diagnostic questions. First and foremost, the most important, am I truly born again? And you might be somewhat confident in that. Oh yeah, I said this prayer years ago. But I want you to consider the questions after that. It says, do I see any fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? Was there evidence in a change in my life that shows that I was born again, that I was given a new heart, meaning that I don't love the things I used to, or at least I love them less, and that I have this newfound love for God, and rather than a hate or a discontent with God that says God is unloving, he's unfair, he's unkind, because you recognize who God is and you recognize who you are. Do I have a desire to fellowship with God through his word and in prayer? Maybe you've fallen into a, a practice or a pattern where you're not spending time at God's feet, where you're not opening the scriptures apart from a Sunday morning. Maybe you're not praying without ceasing. Ask yourself, why is that? Confess that sin before the Lord. It could be that you are saved, but you're just have broken fellowship. Confess that sin before the Lord. But first and foremost, make sure that you have submitted to Christ as both your Savior and your Lord. The second question is, what could any of these put off sins, as we just read in Second Peter 1, what, would, what could they look like in my life? What do I need to confess and ask for forgiveness from? From others and from the Lord. Number three, am I just as faithful to put on and practice what Christ has clothed me in? In this passage today, we were told explicitly what we need to put away from us, what we need to take off. But throughout Scripture, we're told and informed about the things we need to be clothed in. Consider the one and others from Scripture. Those are all things that we need to put on and practice. Consider Colossians chapter 3. I encourage you to read that whole passage, 1 through 17. It's the put on and the put off. It further describes what should be put to death and what should be put on in newness of life, in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. 
My prayer this morning is that that primary command from our passage today, to long for and to feed on that pure spiritual milk, that that would be evident in your life, that there would be a true desire. If that, if that desire doesn't exist today, if you're like, you know what, I really don't desire to spend time in God's word. I profess to be his son. I profess to be his daughter. If that desire is not there, plead with the Lord that he would grow affections in your heart to spend time at his feet, to spend time with him. We don't idolize the word of God. We don't say it's more than who Jesus is. It's God's way to communicate to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to spend time silently at his feet, thinking deeply about who he is, thinking deeply about the truths that are conveyed in a biblical theology understanding, in a systematic theology understanding, in a historical theology understanding. There's so many conversations about the greatness of God and his plan for your life, and his plan for, his plan for the rest of the world that are in God's word. So I encourage you to spend time at his feet today. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You are a great God. You're a mighty God. You are love, in fact. You have revealed your love to us through your Son. He came, he died a death that he did not deserve. He withstood all the shame that we should have received. Lord, he withstood all the wrath of all the sins past, present, and future that we have walked in. Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we give you glory. Lord, we confess this morning that these sins that are reflective in our passage today, they do need to be put off from us. Lord, maybe it's the way that we handle ourselves in social media. Maybe it's the way that we handle ourselves in a workplace. Maybe it's the way we handle ourselves at home. Or maybe it's the way we think and desire to actually speak out at times. Lord, won't you continue to do your work in us? Won't you continue to change our hearts, to conform us to Christ's image? So Lord, that as we look at our lives, we would see an increasing desire and an increasing practice of walking in the humility of submitting ourselves to your spirit for your glory, for the benefit of others. Lord, so the world might see Jesus in us, in our actions, in our words. Lord, that they might desire a relationship with him one day too. Help us to be faithful in not only practicing the word, but preaching the word. That we would proclaim the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world around us. Won't you use us this week? Won't you grow us in understanding maybe even just one commandment today? Lord, I pray that commandment is to long for the spiritual milk. Lord, for that food that comes from your word, spending time at your feet. Lord, we do praise you and we thank you for the sufficiency of the scriptures. Lord, that it is truly inerrant. Lord, grow us in understanding. Won't you please give us wisdom? Lord, your word tells us that if we ask for wisdom, you'll give it to us. Lord, you're the most generous, gracious one that we know. And so we ask in confidence today for wisdom and understanding of your word. Lord, we know that that would glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.